But the man, uh, well, who provided, well, everyone for everything, uh, you know, the the absolute doyen of AFL um, sort of uh, development, if you will. Footy Um, Factory. Footy Factory down there in Geelong, the Geelong Falcons. He also played 245 games for the Mighty Cats. And that was Michael Turner. He joined us. G'day, Michael. Yeah, good evening, boys. Great to be on 99.1 FM. <laughs> no worries, mate. <laughs> Thanks so much, mate. Uh, tell us, um, well, you've, you've had an amazing, um, you know, footy history. Um, can I just ask, where, where did it all begin? Um, my dad played for Geelong in the 51-52 premierships. Yeah. And um, in those days, a lot of those players uh, left their careers early, probably at 26 uh, because the money was in the country then, so I know Dad was on three pounds a game with Geelong, and Warnwell came along and offered him thirty pounds a, ga- a game as coach, which is a lot of money in those days. So we moved to Warnwell. He bought a very successful automotive business and uh, grew up in Warnwell, and you know just had, had the normal childhood. Uh, went off to boarding school for six years at Monterey College in Hamilton. Uh, I was a very late developer and, and small, and um, never at that stage uh, in year eleven thought I'd play AFL football. But then I went on a great spurt after that. And, Within three years, I was uh, I was playing for Geelong, so it was a bit of a journey. So you know, I had I had a fifteen year stint at Geelong. You know, I wanted to stay a loyal player, and probably if I had my time again, I was playing now. Um, my, my my views would probably be a little bit different, but it was very hard to leave a club in those days, and um, uh, you know, and there wasn't the massive uh, amount of money around to shift clubs and all that stuff. So you yes, had the fifteen uh, year career at Geelong. I was lucky enough to be captain and make the Hall of Fame and um, Team of the Century uh, as well you know, All Australian yeah, and Team of the Century and all that sort of stuff with your dad so uh, that was, was great fun we we'll speak with that though was there any other offers from any other teams that uh, you yeah, might Richmond, have yeah, no, Richmond chased me a lot um, I seem to have you know, certain clubs you seem to have good games against them Richmond obviously played on the MCG and that sort of suited me as a winger and uh, had some good games against Richmond. So uh, Graham Richmond, who was the doyen of Richmond back in the 70s and 80s and 90s, they chased me a lot. But look, um, it was very, very difficult to get out of your club in those days. I don't know if you remember Silvio, Silvio Fasani, he wanted to get out of St Kilda and go to some club. And first he had to go to court to do it. Right. So it was a hassle. And, yeah, yeah, and I was living in Geelong and I was a teacher. And um, uh, look, I probably could have done it because I was teaching in Werribee, but... Um, you know, the difference in money, like Geelong might have been paying you know, back in those days 30 grand, and you know, a Melbourne club might offer you 40. Well, you're going to move up to Melbourne for an extra 10 grand, and, and the tax levels were very high at that stage. I mean, people don't realise that back in the 70s, 80s, we were paying you know, on our footy money because we were, were also working. I was a teacher. You're paying about 60 cents in the dollar, so right. when, when you do the sums, it's just not worth it. Not worth it. Yeah, and Collingwood, Collingwood chased me a lot too, particularly at the end of my career, yeah, okay. um, because I moved to the forward line and lucky enough to have Gary Ablett Senior playing next to me, so it made my job a bit easier, but I was <laughs> able to kick 50 goals in a forward pocket you know, most of those years, and uh, Collingwood you know, we're after a forward player that could you know do that next to players like Brian Taylor and that. And uh, I was very, I was close to going to Collingwood at one stage because I had a bit of a um, uh, a disagreement with the, the coach at the time, John Devine. He sacked me as coach, and he was going in one direction, and I was going in the other. But in the end, you know, again, it was only a ten thousand dollar 
difference in pay and uh, it's not all about the money it's it's about you know the hassle of getting mm. to melbourne and getting home and i was living in ocean grove it's a bloody hell of a long drive yeah. yes no it is and i mean obviously you see these days that all the players go back to the cats uh, no matter yep. you know that there was that lifestyle and what you were describing yep. then was it similar back in the 70s and 80s that you know the geelong was sort of this really nice place to play your footy or was it yeah. sort of distant in a way uh, no, it was, it's a great place to live because, look, I'm a surfer, so I've surfed all my life, being from Warrnambool, and it suited me. We lived in Nation Grove, you know, I surfed, went down to Janjuk and, you know, Bells and, you know, down to Lawn and all those sorts of places. So it was, it was, it's, Geelong has always been a great lifestyle place because of the fact that Melbourne's only an hour away and, um, yeah, you get down to the surf coast. So, you know, Geelong have used that really well over the last few years with trading because... The Falcons got drafted, you know, out of the Geelong Falcons. Um, got drafted a lot of clubs interstate. So you know, Geelong, after they became free agents, like you know, Paddy Dangerfield and uh, Luke Delhouse and uh, even Jack Henry, Tanner Bruin, the, the younger ones, uh, and Gary Rowan, they brought a lot of those players back. And um, but, you know, they were happy to come back to Geelong because it was close to home and uh, and closer to uh, the, the lifestyle that they like. So, um, you know, that, that's that's been a really successful ploy by the Cats and. Uh, I think Geelong have basically even narrowed it down even further and said, well, look, you know, the Falcons have been producing such great local players for so long, you know, maybe we give them a bit more priority, which uh, which they have. They have, and it's been very successful, and we'll oh, yeah. get to the Falcons soon. But just I wanted to get to, obviously, you mentioned uh, Gary Ablett Senior there. Um, can you imagine, can you remember his first time at the footy club and, and uh, what your first impressions of uh, Senior were? Yeah, well, Bill, Bill McMaster was the recruiting officer at that stage, and he was a past premiership player and, and coach at Geelong. And um, I still remember him coming to training. It was the same time that they got Greg Williams over from Bendigo because he couldn't get a look in at uh, Carlton um, because of, you know, uh, uh, Alex Marcoux and Jimmy Buckley and uh, Rod Ashman and all those blokes playing in the, in the, you know, in the centre line. So he, he couldn't get a look in there. They brought him down to Geelong, and it was pretty clear to me very quickly that Greg Williams was going to be a great player for Geelong. So much so that I encouraged Tommy Hafey, the coach at the time, because I was captain to play Brian Peake, our big recruit from East Fremantle, as a ruck rover forward, and, uh, and Greg slotted into the middle, which was perfect for me because he used to give me 20 handballs a game, a bit like he did with um, Jared Healy up in Sydney. So, um, But he was great, and, uh, and of course, Gary Ablett was there, and I still remember Bill McMaster saying to me that Gary Ablett will be the best recruit Geelong's ever had. Well, yeah, you hear that a lot about different players, but look, he was big, he was mean, he hadn't met God by then. Um, you know, he was, he was he was a lethal weapon on the field. And um, we used to do in those days, which they don't do so much now, uh, we used to do kick-to-kick sort of man-on-man, you know, the old drill. You'd mark it and kick it back to the next group. And I was matched up with Gary Ablett. Not, and I'll be honest, I didn't lack any confidence. I could, except if a ruckman was 200 centimetres, I could I had good spring and I could mark and contest with anyone. Well, I think they kicked the ball backwards and forwards 20 times. And I reckon I got it once because he dropped it. <laughs> so I was sort of looking at it. He's just so strong. I just couldn't get near it. I just oh, wow. could not get a jump at it because he blocked me and I just couldn't get near it because he was so strong. And he's about six foot one and a half and he's built like Mike Tyson, honestly. <laughs> and uh, and I walked over to um, to Tom Hafey and I said, look, Boom was some asses right here. I've never, I've never encountered anything like this in my playing career. So... The first game we lined up, uh, and it's always been uh, the best centre line ever, has always been uh, the Richmond one, Billy Barrett, Dick Clay and uh, Francis Burke on the other side. But for a short time at Geelong, about eight games, 
I played on one wing. Greg Williams was in the middle and Gary Ablett was on the other wing. And um, I think in our first game together, we amassed over 100 possessions. <laughs> five from the other wing, which was just... And running into blokes and bumping them and, and just, you know, it was just uh, awesome. Like, he, he could have been, in, that, in my opinion, if he had a, played his cards right at the end of his career, or even during his career, he could have gone to America as an NFL running back, 100%, because he was just so big and quick and could break through the lines, or he could have done been a heavyweight boxer. There's no yeah. doubt about that. He used to spend a lot of time in the ring at Geelong, you know, boxing and that. He wasn't that keen on training out the track, but... Yeah. He loved his boxing inside. Well, we're glad that he stayed and played footy because <laughs> the highlight reel that he gave us is, oh, yeah. is something of, uh, you know, exceptional yeah. value. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, when you're playing next to him, it's even better. But, I, yeah. you know, I played forward pocket and I used to play up the field a little bit. But when I heard him coming, I just I just let him come and turn around and hopefully drop it and get a crumb and maybe snag a goal. But, uh, yeah, he was just amazing to play with. Michael, you talk about your incredible career at Geelong. Um, I just want to sort of shift the focus to your your time as a talent manager down at the Falcons. Just for a bit of context, what was your sort of role in nurturing these players for AFL footy? Well, that was all set up after the under-19s left, you know, because the under-19s were, were, were club-based and obviously wanted to open up the draft. So Victoria started that trend and, um, look, it was a very, very successful co- competition, the um, AFL Victoria was run by Ken Gannon and David Code and um, and it was uh, a lot of time and effort was put into it because it was their number one um, priority to get that competition up and going so it was pretty well resourced and funded uh, not so much now but um, it uh, it was a great success and you know, Victoria used to produce 60% of the talent but look my role uh, it was a bit of a combination of things. I was the talent manager was the CEO, so you'd, you'd run the club, you'd employ the staff, you'd do the budgets, um, but your role was also to develop players. You know, for the AFL was the priority. You know, also develop players for the VFL and, and all the other players that come through. You want to develop them to be better players going back to their local clubs because community football is the lifeblood of all football. If you haven't got community football, there's no players coming through. So. Mm-hmm. We had 100 players come down every pre-season and the first message I would give to them all, and we'd sit them down in an auditorium and say that, look, you know, you're here to reach your full potential. You can do no more than that and we're here to help you, but you're the only person that can reach that full potential if you're prepared to work hard. So, you know, and I used to, I used to quote sort of later on, look, not everyone's Luke Hodge and not everyone's Paddy Dangerfield. All you can do is your best. And some of you are going to get drafted. But the percentages are, if I've got 100 sitting in front of me over two years, there's probably 10 going to get drafted, maybe 12. So it's 10 to 12%. Mm. The rest of you, you know, you might go and have a crack at VFL football, but the majority will go back and be great, great local players, which has happened in Geelong um, in the GFL, which is a very strong league. A couple of years ago, St Mary's played Colac, and I think I counted 30-plus players that have been through the Falcons' programs that wow. come into their local clubs, been involved in the program with obviously some great players and great coaches and learned a lot and gone back to their local clubs and taken that knowledge back to their local clubs. So that's that's a forgotten part of it in some ways. It's not ever promoted. It's um, It was a great competition for all those things. And, uh, look, we had amazing success. We had a really good zone. We went from Lara down to Warrnambool. That was gradually reduced from Lara to Colic, which made my job a little bit easier but um, our draft numbers were always high and the quality of players we've reduced was high and uh, as I was saying to you off here before we, we've produced nine AFL, nine AFL captains so with the original footy fact you never want you know not taken away from any club or any school everyone's proud of what they achieve but 
you know, we the only stat we have to provide is we've, we've had non AFL mm. captains and no school yeah. or any any club or TAC club clubs ever come anywhere near that. Mm. Can can you tell? Oh, how early can you tell? Uh, is a better question on if they yeah. will become like an, like this elite leader or an yeah. elite player. Like, I mean, yeah. is there is good, there an yeah, age good, or is there? Yeah. A... No, it's a good. It's a really good question, and you know, I sort of hark back to myself because I, I was a good. Um, a good footballer when I was a junior, but I was a very late developer. Yeah, I went through puberty probably 16, so very late. So, yeah, during that period of time, you know, I'm a boy playing against men. So uh, we used to have under-15 squads, and, and they were always dominated by the early maturers, you know, uh, not being race or anything like that, but the European boys, the Greeks and the Italians, you know, they're shaving 12, and, uh, and they're men playing against uh, Gary Abbott Jr., for example, who was a boy. Um, so Gary Abbott Jr. didn't even play in our under-15 side and we let him go and mature uh, in the, in the under-16s at Mottawari and Torquay and we didn't bring him into the... He was, um, he'd been through puberty, he came in as a 17-year-old. So, you know, you've just got to give boys time to mature and, and it doesn't even up until they've been through mature, uh, puberty and they've had a couple of years to to build um, their body mass and all that sort of stuff. So so Abbott was a good example. And players like Mason Wood is at St Kilda doing really well now. He took to he was 19 and um, it, it just varies. So, look, I think I've got a pretty good eye for that. You, you can tell um, a player is going to be a good player, you know, by, by their skill set, firstly, and their athleticism. So if they're showing that really good skill set, even though they're immature at an early age, you stick with them. Um, don't put too much pressure on them. Let them mature naturally, and you've got to bring them in at the right time. So it's a, it's a bit of a timing process. Um, but, you know, yeah, the, the talent managers back in those days, yeah, we, we had a fair bit of power. We, well, we did. We, we ran the whole club, and we had final say on, on, on selection. So the coaches would put up their teams, and I'd walk in and say, well, he, he's not playing because he's not, he can't get drafted. We need to play him as a 17-year-old because he's yeah. going to mature into a drafted player, that sort of thing. Without being too honest about it, our emphasis was always on development. So... If, if you ask me, would I rather win a premiership, which you know, we've, we've, we won one at the MCG and uh, won it in 2017, and, or get eight players drafted, I'd take players eight drafted every day of the week. Uh, Michael, you, you sort of put through players such as Hodge, Bartlett, Ablett, Dangerfield. They're just... She's a fair list. Yeah, legends of the game, really. Um, yeah. For a 12, 13-year-old listening to this who's probably started training, has ambitions of playing AFL footy, is there something you'd... you'd like, what sort of advice would you give them um, in regards to, you know, well, going on and being probably, the best player they can? Yeah, 12, 13-year-olds, play, Oregon play as many sports as you can. I'm mm. not, I think all my boys, when they, all my two sons, when they grew up, we, they played you know, cricket, and ba- basketball and baseball and soccer and surfing and football and all that sort of stuff. So play as many sports as you can. And, um, you know, and then you start start to get a little bit more serious when you're about 16, I would have thought. You've, mm. you've probably, if you've got ability, particularly in Australian North football, you, you probably need to, um, you know, make a decision at least by 17 that you're going to give it your full whack. Um, and, and some sports are very inflexible and letting players... You know, play in and out of two sports. We were we were never inflexible about it. But for example, APS rowing, like you, know, you just you can't have an APS rower in your squad basically because they can never train. You know, and um, they're always you know on the on the river. Uh, yes. and that's a choice they've made. And the other thing is basketball. Basketball are very, extremely difficult to negotiate with. They they basically say to the kids I know in Geelong, they're either in the basketball squad. If you want to go and do that, you're out, sort of thing. So they, they put a bit of pressure on. But we try and work with them, and. Um, 
you know, and, and kids just just let yourself mature. You know, the most important thing that you can do is just work on your skill set, you know, and that's often done on your own out in the mm-hmm. backyard. Um, you know, like I used to do as a kid, you know, kicking the ball between two posts and, uh, you know, doing as many tricks with the ball as you can and, and letting Dad come and have a kick with you but not dominating the, um, the training procedures because, you know, there's better people that know because, you know, training techniques change all the time. But your, your skill set's you know, your number one thing. The five things that players are, um, are picked on in an elite squad or the Falcons, um, and it's the same goes for AFL, um, is five five criteria. Number one's attitude, and that's a number of things. Um, um, dedication, ability to train, listen to coaches and learn. Um, the next thing is you've got to be able to get the ball. You, you, know, you can't play football unless you can get it. Once you get the ball, you've got to have the skill set to deliver it. And this is all old, old Alan Jean stuff, you know, when he mm. coached Hawthorne. So you know, the ball's in the player's hand. He's got to deliver it. If he turns the ball over, the opposition is going to have a shot. Um, so he's, he's got to have that. He's got to make the right decision, have the skill set to get the ball there. And the last thing that caps off is athleticism. I mean, the more athletic you are, like a Chris Judd, and you, you're a speed replete player, as, as is needed in the AFL or you know Paddy Dangerfield type players. Well, he's got speed, repeat, and power. Mm. Um, yeah, you're going to tick off on all those things. And look, everyone's got weaknesses. Uh, Luke Hodge ticked off on all those very highly, but on the athleticism side, he was probably a six out of ten. He wasn't. You know, he wasn't a, a nine out of ten or anything like that. But but he also got away with it because there's some things you can't test for, and that's natural ability and the ability to be able to read the game. So where Luke Hodge, uh, you know, made up for a bit of a lack of pace was he could just read the game so well, and he'd move before his opponent did and, and get to the right spot. Yeah, no, just incredible, incredible. Well, well unfortunately though, uh, Michael, we're going to run out of time. Um, so we'll, we'll have to get you on again to Absolutely. to get the second half of yeah. this because it's so fascinating what you've been through, and um, hopefully we can chat later on in the year if that's all right. Anytime, boys. You ring me up anytime. I've got a million stories. <laughs> Fantastic, can't wait. So I really appreciate it, Michael. And you, boys. Good luck with the show. Thank you.